Okay, Revelation 1. Uh, this is our believers meeting, May 11th, 2019. And today we're talking about God's word, final authority. Now let's look at verse 8 of Revelation. I am. Now let's just stop right there for a minute. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So he says, I am. Now in the Gospels, you remember when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you know, the Gospels vary a little bit in their accounts of telling the same story, but uh, it says a band of Roman soldiers and officers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, these other officers apparently were police officers who worked uh, in the temple grounds, and they came under the jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin, which was the Pharisees and Sadducees, and a Roman band of soldiers was about 600 men. So 600 plus men came to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. Now it makes you wonder, what did Judas say to these Pharisees when he went to them and said, let's make a deal. I'm, I'm willing to uh, hand Jesus over to you for, you know, some money. But it makes you wonder, what did he tell them that prompted them to think, we better send 600 men to arrest one man? But when, uh, well, we know that Jesus had slipped out of their hands several times. On several occasions, they had tried, they had plotted to, uh, you know, kill him even. Or, or arrest him on some kind of charges. And of course, because it wasn't Jesus' time, he just walked away from them, and they, they couldn't lay a hand on him, even when they wanted to. And the irony is, with his 600-plus men that came to arrest him, Jesus voluntarily went. You know, he laid down his life. They didn't need one man to arrest him, much less 600. You know, he, he, did, he put up no resistance. They came with clubs and swords and all kinds of weapons, and he made no resistance at all. He, he voluntarily went with them. But when they, when they came, these 600-plus men came to arrest him, Jesus said, Whom seek ye? In the King James Version, it says, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. Now, in the King James Version, if you read that, the word he is in italics, which means that word was not in the original text. It was added by the translators to complete the sentence or to complete the thought. Sometimes these words were added by the translators just to kind of complete the thought. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it's better to read it without that word in there. But in the King James Version, he said, I am he, and that word he is in italics. What Jesus actually said, when they said, Jesus, he said, whom seek ye? 
they said Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus actually said, I am. I am. And when he said, I am, 600 plus soldiers, it says, went backward and fell to the ground under the power of God. With two words, I am, boom. <laughs> 600 of them just fell out. Now you would have thought any smart guy would have got up and, and run off right there. You know what I mean? But uh, let's read this from the easy to read version. It says, the Lord God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is coming. I am the All-Powerful. I like that, who always was. And who is coming, I am the All-Powerful. The Worldwide English Translation says, The Lord God says, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the ending. I live now, I always have lived, and I will come again. I have all power. I like that. I always have lived. So he, he's always, he's always. But he's now as well, and he's future as well. So uh, where it says the Almighty in the Amplified Bible, it says the God of heaven's armies. The God of heaven's armies. So Jesus makes this statement, I am the Alpha, the first and the last. He makes this statement at least five times in the book of Revelation. He says it here in verse 8. He says it again in verse 11. He says it again in verse 17. And at least two more times, I think over chapter 21, and I forgot the other place, but at least at least five times in the book of Revelation, he says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the ending. So there's only one Almighty, and that's Jesus. The devil is not the Almighty. Amen? The devil is not the Almighty. He, he wants you to think he's the Almighty, but he is not the Almighty. Jesus is the Almighty, the God of heaven's armies, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Of course, we know Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. This is our big brother talking to you and to me. He says, I started it all. I'm going to finish it all. And as long as we stay with him, we're going to come out good. So since God is the first and the last, and he is the Almighty, then his word should be the last word. It should be the first word in every situation, and it should be the last word in every situation. And in the middle, his word should be the word in the middle in every situation. Oftentimes, we turn to the world system and the world's resources for an answer to our problem. And as a last resort, we think, oh, well, I've exhausted everything else. Maybe I should pray, <laughs> you know? And even, even then, 
maybe never go to the Word and find out what does the Word say about this situation. You know, you hear people say, well, I'm just praying about it. Well, what does the Word say about it? I don't know. I'm just praying about it, you know? So we got to start on the Word in every situation, stay on the Word in every situation, and end on the Word in every situation. And I admire people who absolutely refuse to accept anything other than God's Word about their situation. They may be accused, uh, they may be called extreme, uh, like we often are, uh, called extreme, uh, you know, you're not facing reality, you're denying reality. But people who don't understand how faith works, uh, for them reality is what they feel, what they see, what they hear, and what they experience. Bible faith does not deny what you have. It doesn't deny what exists. It calls for what you don't have. And it calls for what you can't see. And it calls for what does not exist here in the physical realm. That's the way Bible faith works. It may be a fact that you're having pain or some other symptoms in your body. That may be a fact, but reality to a faith person says, Jesus has redeemed me from all sickness and disease, pain, uh, infection, inflammation, swelling. I've been redeemed from lack, insufficiency, and want. To a faith person, that's reality because that's what the Word says, and that's the truth. It's already done. It's already done, and that's the reality. That's the truth. What God says about it, that's reality. If God's Word is not the first word and the last word in your life, then somebody else's word is going to be the first word and the last word in your life. We have contact with God through His Word and through the Holy Spirit living in us. We have contact with other people and we have contact with the devil. So it's our choice. We got three groups here. It's our choice whose words we are going to accept is final authority in our situation. Sometimes what looks like uh, a faith failure may not be a faith failure. If there are other people involved, uh, their unbelief can be a factor. Uh, whether they choose to live or die can be a factor. So, so what, what may look like a faith failure, it may not be a faith failure, if you, especially if you've got other people involved. Um, so the doer of the word, when it looks like the word's not working, we just keep doing it anyway. The trier, the people who say, I tried that, when it looks like the word's not working, they give up and quit. That's the difference. So I'd rather go down. If, I was, if I'm going to go down and fail, I'd rather go down and fail on the word than to, to not even attempt anything on the word and just blend in with everybody else and go down not on the word. If I'm going down, I'm at least going down on the word. Amen? So let's say together, I'm a doer of the word. I'm a 
I'm a doer of the word. So, you find a scripture that speaks to you about your situation, and you make that the first word, and you make it the last word about your situation, and that's what you're going to hang your faith on. You're going to hang your faith on that word. And when the devil comes to steal that word out of your heart, he tries to come and steal your faith through circumstances, you continue on that word and you end on it. And there are a lot of ways he can try to move you off that word. He will speak directly to your mind or he may use other people, some of them sincere Christians, perhaps. And when somebody says, it's not God's will to heal everybody, you can laugh because you can say, I've already got the first word, and I've got the last word on that. When somebody says, uh, you know, the, the devil speaks to your mind, and he'll say, uh, well, God may have supplied your needs all these ten other times, but he won't this time. You can just laugh at the devil. You can say, devil, you come too late for me. I already got the first word, and I got the last word in this situation. So take the time to base what you're going to pray, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, and how you're going to live on the Word. Take some time to do that. Start your prayer on the Word. Start your faith project on the Word. Stay on the Word and end on the Word. So, you have to make time for the Word. If you try to fit it in your busy schedule, the devil's going to see to it you never have time. He'll always create some kind of circumstance to, to, to keep you uh, constantly distracted so that you can't get on that Word because that's what he's after. That's your victory. So. If you put the word first place, then you get the Lord involved in your schedule. And, and he'll sort out your schedule. And what might have taken you three hours to do, you put the word first, and now you get it done in 45 minutes. You know? So you've got to make time to put, put the word first. Now the reason the word seems like the hard way is because we haven't been taught that way. That this is something all new, you know, uh, to, to Christians until the last 20 or 30 years, uh, especially. The, the word way looks like the hard way because we haven't been taught that way. We've been trained only in the world's way. We've only known the world's way. And that's why it seems like the easy way and the logical way because that's all we've ever known. But it's the world's way that's the hard way. Now let's turn to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. 
If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved. Now the word continue conveys the idea of discipline. Other, other, for other, another word for continue would be to keep on, to persevere, to be constant, to remain firm, to be steady, to stick with. We see these phrases, uh, continue in my word, continue in the faith, continue in prayer, continue in the grace. We, we see this kind of language all throughout the New Testament. Your spirit knows the word is truth. Your spirit knows the word is truth. It's your flesh and your mind that wants to give up and not continue. So this is why we have to renew our mind and train our flesh and bring them into subjection to God's word because our spirit knows the word works. Now, in order to continue in faith and settle every situation on the word, you have to know something about the integrity of God's word. Now, we're not going to turn to all these scriptures, but you can just jot them down. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Hebrews 1.3 It says he is upholding some things by the word of his power. Is that what it says? A few things? All things. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. His power is in his word. Numbers 23.19 God is not a man that he should lie. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Psalm 89, 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. How long? Forever. It's settled in heaven. So since God has already settled his word in heaven, we should settle his word on the earth and make it final authority over every situation. We need to get a revelation that this word is God's bond between him and man. This is God's bond between God and man. And the New Testament is a copy of our blood covenant with God as joint heirs with Jesus. It's a copy of our blood covenant with God as joint heirs with Jesus. And it's written specifically, the New Testament is written specifically to born-again, spirit-filled believers. And it tells us who we are in Christ, what we can do, 
what has already been purchased for us through the shed blood of Jesus and what belongs to us now. That's really what the New Testament covers. And Jesus has been raised from the dead to see to it that it comes to pass. So God's word is the basis of faith. The word is the foundation that faith in God is established on. You can't have faith in God if you don't know what God said. You can't believe God will do what he said if you don't know what he said. And you can't believe God if you don't believe he'll keep his word. You know, somebody says we're trusting God. Well, what is it about God that you're trusting? Well, I don't know. We're just trusting God. Well, that isn't going to work. <laughs> That's not going to work for very long. Uh, you can only trust God if you know what he said. So the only way you can trust me is to trust what I said. If, 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 if you don't know what I said, you can't trust me. And, and you can't trust me to, to do what I say I'll do if you don't know what I said I'll do. If I said, after the meeting, everyone here today, I'm going to take you all to lunch. Now you have a basis to believe that. You, now you can say, Barb's going to take us all to lunch afterwards. What's that based on? I said I would. But if you just walk in here and say, well, Barb's going to take us all to lunch today, did I say I would? You know, that's a baseless faith. If I didn't say I would, then you don't have anything to believe. But if, but if I said I would, now that's the basis for believing that I will take you to lunch. And you've got to trust me to do that. You've got to trust my word. You can't separate me from my word, you can't separate God from his word, and you can't separate you from your word. So find a scripture, a promise that speaks to you about your situation or your faith project. You know, believing for a house, find house scriptures. Believing for healing, find healing scriptures. Uh, provision, provision scriptures. Whatever it is you're believing for, Find promises that cover that area. Find scriptures, wisdom. There are scriptures on wisdom. So you make that word the beginning and you make that word the ending, final authority. Now somewhere from the time you take that word, you, you find the scripture and you say, boy, that, that really speaks to me. That's really covers my situation. That's what I'm standing on. Believe in God for this. So you start out on that word and then by the time you get over here and that thing is manifested and you've got it, it's actually come to pass. Somewhere between over there and over here, the devil is going to come to challenge that word and convince you that it's not working. And it's not going to come to pass. And from here to there, that's the fight of faith. And that's where you've got to continue on that word. Because he's going to try to, to steal that word. Because that's, that's your victory. 
He has no defense for the word. So let's look at an example of how Satan comes to challenge the word. Let's go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say you really can't eat of any tree in the garden? Now, Satan is trying to complicate a very simple instruction. Uh, he's introducing a question about what God said when there was no question. There was nothing to question about what God said. And he's saying, did God really say you can't eat of any tree of the garden? Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now God never mentioned anything about touching it, but if he said don't eat it, it'd also be a good idea not to touch it. You know what I mean? Uh, so there's nothing confusing or complicated about what God said here. It was very simple instruction. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. God said, If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And the devil comes along and says, No, you won't. No, you won't surely die. What's he doing? He's challenging God's word. He's challenging what God has said that he's challenging what God has said to them. That was a lie. It was a lie. Satan is complicating this by trying to get Eve to question God's word. Now the word says that God laid all sickness and all disease on Jesus and by his stripes ye were healed. And Satan comes along and says, no you're not. You don't look healed to me. Why don't you feel and see if you're healed? You know, he'll say, God may have supplied all your needs before, but he won't do it this time. Now, if you listen to, the, to that and agree with it, your faith is going to go down the drain. Fear and doubt are going to come in if you start listening to that and agreeing with it. God simply said, that tree, don't eat from it. Simple instruction. Now, why were Adam and Eve, even? why were they standing around that tree? They should have been 20 miles from that tree. God, you know, God said, don't eat of that tree. Why were they standing there? Why was Eve in a conversation with the devil about it? And why did Adam stand there listening to the conversation and never open his mouth? It was none of the devil's business what God said to them. It was none of the devil's business whether they eat that tree or not. It's none of the devil's business what God said to you. It's none of the devil's business whether God heals you or not. It's none of the devil's business whether he supplies your need or not. Uh, you know, 
He's after the word. Because if he can steal that word, and if he can't steal that word, and you continue in it, you're going to defeat him. You're going to defeat him. When it becomes final authority in your life, and he says, I have tried everything, and I cannot move this person off this word, then you're, you're going to defeat him, and he'll have to leave. When he sees that you're not going to be moved, he'll have to leave. Have you noticed you can go weeks and the devil won't bother you? And as soon as you step out and say, okay, we're going to believe God for this, boom, here he comes. You know, as soon as you step out on that word, here he comes. But for weeks he hasn't bothered you. That, that's the way he's after that word. He'll say, what are you going to do about this? What, what happens, you know, what if that doesn't happen? What if this happens? Where are you going to get this? How are you going to get that? That's the way he comes. He's trying to steal the word. So don't sit there and get to a conversation with him in your mind like Eve did. What do you do? You resist him. You resist him and he will flee. If they had resisted him, he would have had to flee. If we resist him, he will flee. This, we can't really be too hard on Adam and Eve. We, we say, duh, you know, why, why didn't you resist him? Well, why don't we resist him? You know, we, we have the same opportunities to either resist him or get in a conversation with him as well. So when, when the devil comes to you with, you know, what are you going to do about this? Where are you going to get this? How are you going to do that? You say, Satan, you go talk to God about it. I'm busy. And he doesn't want to talk to God. So that will be the end of the conversation. So cast him out. Now in verse, back to verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. In other words, well, that may be what God said, but that's not what he really meant. How many times have you read something in the Word and your faith rose up and you got all excited about it and somebody, and somebody said, well, that may be what the Bible says, but that's not what it really means. That's not what God really meant. They're trying to steal your faith, trying to steal that Word. How many people have been robbed of blessings, you know, by listening to that stuff? So don't hang around people that tell you that, and don't hang around preachers that tell you that. Verse 4, the devil says, You sh shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Satan not only comes to challenge the word, he comes to put a question mark over God's character. He's trying to convince Eve, God is the one that's really holding back something from you. God's the one that, that's withholding something. He's holding out on you. Um, he's the one that you can't trust. So he's put this question mark now over God's character and whether or not he's a 
person that can be trusted. Now, let's turn to Acts um, 27. If it's not the last trip, it's, I think it was the last trip that Paul made to Jerusalem. And you know how these religious Jews followed him everywhere he went and they were always stirring up trouble and turning people against him, causing riots and, and totally disrupting his ministry and trying to keep people from hearing the word. Uh, and here they've, they've done it again. They've made false accusations against Paul and they've got this dispute about, you know, he's leading people astray and all this. So they started another riot in Jerusalem, and they even plotted to kill him. And the, the Roman soldiers arrested Paul pro partly just to protect him from this mob. And so uh, Paul made, uh, he appeared before two of the governors, Roman governors in the area, making his case, defending himself, and then in the end, he, he says, I, I want to appeal to Caesar himself. Very top man. So Paul makes an appeal to Caesar. So they say, okay, you will stand before Caesar and you can defend yourself. So they put him on a ship for Rome. And before they boarded this ship to leave, Paul had a check in his spirit, a witness in his spirit, that they should not make this journey, at least at this time because uh, the, the Holy Spirit gave him a check in his spirit and he said, I perceive by the Holy Spirit this is going to be a dangerous voyage and people could even be killed. This is not a good time to travel. And the captain says, you're just a preacher. What do you know about sailing? The weather looks perfect to me. We're going anyway. So the captain overrides Paul and says, we're going anyway, so they set sail. And sure enough, a few days later, they ran into a storm uh, of hurricane proportions that lasted for two weeks. Now, in verse 20, it says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hoped that we should be saved, was then taken away. Now, if this happened today, somebody might say, maybe God's sending this storm to teach you something. But Paul got a word from the Lord through an angel, in the, kind of midway in this storm. It's not over yet. In the midst of this storm, the Lord spoke to Paul through an angel, and he gave him a word. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So he told him two things. You're going to keep your appointment in Rome, and uh, you're all going to survive this storm. You're all going to come through, and you're all going to survive. And Paul took that word, and he hung his faith on it, because this storm wasn't over yet. It's, this storm lasted another seven or ten days. But, but the Lord gave him a word 
to hang his faith on and to stand on. And I heard Brother Hagen say once, you know, people, people get uh, prophetic words from the Lord, you know, uh, we call them prophecies or words of wisdom, that words of wisdom included in a prophecy, but we, we call them prophetic words uh, about their future. And um, he said they're one of two reasons primarily why God does that. Now some people uh, never get a prophetic word and that might be a good thing when you hear the two reasons why <laughs> some people get prophetic words. One reason is because uh, God's been trying to speak to them all along in their spirit and they're just not getting it. You know, we, when, when we haven't been taught how to be led by the Holy Spirit and, and how to listen to, the, to our spirit and uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit within us, you know, you got a red light here, don't, don't go like Paul did. We shouldn't make this voyage. Or you got the green light, yeah, let's, let's move forward. But, but if, you're, if you've been having difficulty hearing the Lord about this situation, God will sometimes speak to you about it prophetically. The second reason he sometimes gives people a prophetic word is because there's rough sailing ahead. And he knows you're about to come into some hard times, hard places, and he's given you a word to stand on and a word that you can hang your faith on that will take you through this storm. And that's really what God did here to Paul. They hit rough sailing in the natural. It wasn't just spiritually. In the natural they hit rough sailing. And God gave him this word for him to hang his faith on. So it doesn't matter how hard the storm blows, whether our storm is physical or spiritual or financial or whatever, you can tell the devil this. Verse 25. Paul stood up and said, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. I believe God that it will be even as it was told me. I don't care if we're in the middle of a hurricane and if the boat's falling apart and we've already had to throw all the cargo over. God said, I've got a word from God. We're going to Rome and we're all going to survive. And Paul took that word and he made it final authority in that situation. And he hung his faith on it. The Living Bible says, For I believe God, it will be just as he said. And I've, I've taken this verse before, and it's been a rhema word for me several times that I could hang my faith on. I believe God, it will be just as he said. It may not look like it's happening right now, but in the end, it's going to be just like God said. Thank God for doctors. We're not against doctors. But their word is not the final word. Their words, not the last word. Solicitors, bankers, accountants, surveyors, real estate agents. Their words, not the final word. It's not the last word. They deal, they're natural people, and they deal with physical, natural things 
that are subject to change. They're temporary. They're, they're trying to give you their opinion based on their experience and their limited knowledge. They're not all-knowing and they are not the Almighty. You know. So, your body is physical. It's subject to change. God's word is eternal. It's not going to change. You can turn to 1 Peter, uh, what? Uh, Matthew 8, 17. 1 Peter 2, 24. You can turn to that 15 years from now and it's still going to say, by his stripes you were healed. That's not going to change. 15 years from now, it's still going to say that. So, God's word is final authority. That's, that's not a promise. That's the truth. By his stripes you were healed. That's not just a promise. That's the truth. That's reality. So God's word should be the final word in every situation. It's his will for us to be blessed and victorious regardless of what you are experiencing. So hold on to your faith. Hold on to that word, and you will come out victorious. Amen? Amen? I believe it will be even as God said to me. Amen? So let's say this together. God is not a man, God is not a man. that he should lie. I have his word in covenant blood. Be it unto me according to your word. I believe it will be just as he said.